The guest for this edition of the Going Upstairs podcast is Dan Rowe. Dan has been doing sessions for Open Up Cricket for a few years now, but the focus in this episode is around Andy's Man Club, a brilliant organisation that he's become more and more a part of over these last couple of years. So whilst we reflect on the importance of the support they offer to people, we also look at Dan's own personal experience of mental ill health and the things that he now holds close to him to help him maintain a good level of mental health and fitness. Okay, Dan, just to start us off, just um, just explain a little initiated about what Andy's Man Club is? Yeah, so Andy's Man Club is a mental health charity, suicide prevention charity really. Um, Kickstarted in Halifax in in West Yorkshire uh, back in 2016 um, and it follows the the suicide a lad called um, Andy Roberts. So Andy was 23 years old, had a 18 month old daughter and on the outside looking in had it kind of had everything going for him um was settled into a job um was planning a, a lad's holiday all those kind of things that everyone says you look from the outside you outside looking in he's he's a he's a happy lad he's got a he's got a daughter he likes to play football he socialized with his mates quite a popular guy and um one monday um without kind of any sort of warning um to, to to kind of anyone took his um took his own life so off the back of that his brother-in-law luke ambler um who who's a ex-professional rugby league player and his mum elaine they wanted to do something to help people and, and the idea originally was to help families they didn't want another family going through what they were going through so um the original plan was to open a, a kind of a coffee club so as we know, rugby league players love coffee, and um, so Luke posted out onto his onto his face, on his Facebook group, if there's any guys out there that fancy me up for a coffee and a chat, then I'll be in a certain coffee shop at a certain time. And nine guys turned up on the first session, and really quickly, that's how kind of Man Club um, came about. The journey that they've gone on for the the past three years, four years now. Is, is kind of remarkable in terms of the growth, but it just shows on what the, the need is. So I suppose the premise of each club is each club is is run exactly the same. So it doesn't matter whether you go to Plymouth, Dundee, Hull, Manchester, it's exactly the same. Um, they meet Monday nights from seven till nine and it's available to, to any man over the age of 18. It doesn't cost anything. All you need to do is just turn up and it's a, a real a peer-to-peer sport group, so you are just meeting like-minded guys and sharing experience with what's going on. Yeah, now, this kind of thing is a classic for when you're there, the benefits just pour out. But like a, any other bloke, your experience of first engaging with it was one of of being nervous, of, of, of wondering whether you were going to make it through the door. So just, just, just tell me about how you came to, to go to your first session. Yeah, so my first session was, um, I, I remember the date very well. It was the, the 8th of January, 2018. So just over sort of two and a half years ago. And on that Saturday before, so the 6th, um, 
I'd made my um, third attempt in my own life. So I, I wouldn't know where to go. I had um, had a, a young son. I was married. Um, again, from the outside looking in, I had a perfect kind of life, really. But I was really struggling. Um, and, and I got to the point where I felt the world was better off kind of without me. And being a rugby league fan, I'd followed Andy's Man Club progress because they're, they're relatively local to where I live as well. And um, it was my, um, well, well, sort of now ex, um, my, my son's mum, Andrea, that, that kind of forced me to go, really. And in the way that she just, out of desperation, she didn't know how else to help me. I was on the waiting list for actual sort of professional services, if you like. So um, I went to the Oldham Club, which used to be at the Ledge Centre, and I sat in the car park. I got there nice and early. It doesn't start till seven. I was there at six. Um, and I just thought, do you know what? I'm just going to sit here until about half seven. I'll go home and say, look, I've tried it. It doesn't work, and, and it's not for me. And about half six, there was a knock on the, on the window, car window, and I put the window down, and it, guy I'd never met before said it you here for Andy's man club mate and now the Oldham Ledger Centre they've got everything they've got swimming pool gym they've got every facility going could I think of another reason why I'd be sat in that car park other than Andy's man club and it was just that kind of that's what I needed to get through the door and we hear a lot about this I mean I talk about that like I was I felt I feel really kind of lucky now that the first time I went to go I managed to get through the door we hear a lot about guys that desperately want to come, but just taking that step is really tough, is getting through the door. And that's why, from a charity point of view, we do everything we can to help people get through the door. And that means standing outside from kind of half six at night, encouraging people, and this is obviously pre-COVID, um, but encouraging people to come through the door because we understand how, uh, how difficult it is. So yeah, for me, it was the hardest thing. Um, but, but obviously in the long term, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever I've ever done as well and it's it really has kind of meant in that respect that my my son's still got a dad yeah and what, what it's probably very hard to, to, to answer this question but what is the benefit of being in a room like that where you've not got the the formula where you'd have if you're with a counselor or a therapist it's one-on-one -on -one, which could be intimidating to a lot of people or it's something where uh, there's an intervention almost from a friend and it's it's been set up for that this environment where you're there on um, that Monday evening with a group of other people who for their own reasons have decided to be there what is it about that that makes it work so much I think first off the first thing it gives you really really quickly is hope so for me I, I had no feeling of hope of the future um, I felt like my issues were there was only me in the world that felt like that. And I felt guilt, a lot of guilt for, for feeling like how I felt. Now, within five, 10 minutes of sat in a circle with a group of guys that I've never met before and a really, really diverse group of guys, one of the, one of the men talked about how he spent the weekend with his kids and he'd had a great weekend with them, even though they'd been sort of pains. Um, for the whole weekend and he shouted at them quite a bit. He'd never felt more connected. And at the time, I didn't feel connected to my son. I was really struggling with that. I was struggling with being a dad. And straight away, that individual who I've never met before tells me 
And he's been going to Andy's Man Club for two or three months, got a smile on his face, talking about how he spent the weekend with his kids with a big smile on his face and he's happy. I was like, that, that to me just gave me hope that I could be like that. So in that respect, compared to, um, I'm a big advocate for both, by the way, for peer-to-peer support groups and professional um, sort of counselling. Or It's about what finding what's right for you as an individual. Now, for me, it's both. What peer-to-peer support offers um, is just guys that, do you know what, that... There's, no, there's absolutely no judgment. And I know that counsellors will say we don't judge, but sat there in the chair when someone's looking at you intently, analysing everything that you're doing, saying, moving, looking at, you feel judged in every, almost every respect. And to an extent, they are judging you because that's how they can create the solution to find you better. What Andy's Man Club offers is a facility to talk. No one else talks when you talk. So you've got that opportunity to talk. But the process that they go through, it's about creating your own personal strategy for effectively looking after yourself, for thriving yourself. It's not just about surviving. It's about how do you thrive? So how do you start? For example, like Erlen's Man Club, they run through five questions. Question two every single week is what's one positive from your week? So it's about trying to identify what is positive. That's a really hard question to answer. And for me, my answer for that when I first went through was I think walking through the door. That was literally the only thing I could possibly think of. If I had to do on a daily basis around then, it'd be getting out of bed or having a shower. It'd be, it'd be literally as basic as that, but that was a real positive for me. So, but when I went back the next week, I knew I was going back the next week because I'd made that commitment to myself. I went through the week thinking, what's positive? I need to answer that question. So what is what has been positive? And out of the five questions that we ask on a Monday, three of them are positive questions. So it's about, it's really important that people get the space to talk. It's really important that they get a chance to offload of what's going on. But it's not a case of sit there and offload and feel a bit sorry for yourself and kind of mull it over and then say the same story next week. It's about how to deal with it. So how do you deal with it and how do you look for the positives in it? It's kind of how do you change the narrative around the bad stuff that's happened? Because we all go through bad stuff. It's just varying detail of how bad that is. And that, that's all perception anyway, isn't it? So what I think is bad, you might think is just normal and vice versa. So it's, it's, it's about people taking personal responsibility, which is what I, I think works so well because it's not somebody telling you to do something and then you try it, it works brilliant. You credit in them. You're only crediting yourself because you're the one that's created that solution for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I think the more and more, whether it's, whether it's mental health or whether it's your job or your relationships or a hobby or anything, it's, it's important to have people pushing you um supporting you giving you ideas but your own actions are going to be the things that make that make the difference and having that autonomy to say yeah all right it might have been dan that suggested going to andy's man club but i walked through that door and i i employed these strategies that worked for for me andy's man clubs clearly had a, a big effect on on your life to the extent now that you um are involved in facilitating 
So what does that in, involve? Yeah, so um, after about six months of, of going to the Oldham group, um, I was feeling much better. I was feeling a, a lot better. And, and I think with anything, just like with physical health, with your mental health, it's a continuous journey, isn't it? You have ups, you have downs. So I was feeling in a, a good place. And I want to give something back. And this is the whole thing this man club every single club is run or facilitated by people that walk through the door and needed the club first so you've got that experience and it's there and there's no difference in terms of i often tell um that when you run a club or if you're seen as the main facilitator of the club the only thing that's different is you do all more admin than everyone else and that, and that was always kind of my explanation. It was a bit flippant in terms of how you, how you describe it. But So after six months of going to Alden, I went to the club and said, we need one in Manchester City Centre. And I was working in City Centre at the time. So I suppose from a bit of a selfish point of view, it was easy for me to go to the City Centre than it was to go to Oldham. But we managed to get, we managed to get with the help of, of a few people, we managed to get Manchester open. And it's just so rewarding. So facilitating... Um, a, first and foremost, the most important thing for every facilitator is that they use the club in the same way as if you went there through, through the door on the, first, on the first day. You are not there to solve everybody's problems. You are not there to take everybody else's issues on. You are there to use the club, but you might just ask the questions. You might just support, might just provide that little bit of additional support. You might have to do some extra admin. Um, one of the things I always enjoyed from... From being, from being involved was going and doing maybe some media stuff or going and speaking to businesses about men's mental health and, and suicide prevention, stuff like that. To me, I saw that as a privilege to be able to spread that word. But that was some of the additional stuff. But actually from, from the basics of it, they have a really good support team, although it's small, but they have a really good support team at, at AMC. And it's really about getting guys that, yeah, they, they want to put their hands up because they want to help but it's about using the club. So you do not forget that you are there to use the club. You are not there to provide solutions to everybody that, that, that walks through the door. So I suppose the only additional job is just making sure the doors are open. So, and obviously now make sure the virtual doors are open. Yeah. How has the, the COVID experience altered Andy's Man Club's offer? Now, literally, there's not the meetings in the same way, but... How have people engaged with the digital alternatives? In a way, it's enhanced it. So each club has a virtual club now, um, as you would expect. Um, and then what, what they've also done is in the, in the time, because we're in desperate need of more mental health support within this country, given that the current circumstances and the, I suppose, ticking time bomb that, that, that we're likely to see with regards to mental health is... The club have launched from, I suppose, from head office really, is for anyone that hasn't walked through the door at a club, then they hold a session every Monday for, I suppose, new people. So it doesn't matter where you where you are in the country. All you need to do, all you need to do is email info at andysmanclub.co.uk and they they will send you out a link um, to join that club. Again, same rules apply. You need to be male. You need to be over eighteen. And they, what they will do is you, you will, the first week you will join that, the new, for want of a better term, the newbie group. Um, and then depending on your location, you'll then be assigned to a local club. So then you can then start getting involved. 
with the local with the local club as well, um, and th- and that will um, and that will kind of continue uh, continue on. So it's, it's kind of enhanced it in a way that although we can't meet physically, it can be done virtually, um, and you're still gaining that community. You're still gaining that ongoing communication. It's not just on a Monday night; they have closed Facebook groups and. So it's it's just a continuation then of the support that's provided. So we've obviously seen a drop off in numbers, as you would expect. But we've um, but we are uh, but we are still seeing, um, oh, and his man club is certainly still seeing some 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 good numbers in terms of men taking part and wanting to help and wanting to talk and 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 kind of open up about what's going on. That's that's good to know. And I, I in fact, Andy's man club is one of the. The, the groups that I first thought of in terms of mental health provision when the lockdown occurred and all the great work that's been done. And I was just really anxious uh, personally, not just through, through your own experience, but through others that I've spoken to who found it of great value to think, well, I hope there's something in place. And I, and I knew, of course, there would be, but it's, it's good to hear that that's having an effect. It just, just made me think there about... I don't know what your view on this is about how this this particular period um, has seen. I've spoken to so many people about this. Has seen a drop off when things become um, virtual compared to in person. When we are used to being told, or indeed saying that um, uh, we were so connected because of things online and social media. But um, I, I've noticed. You know, whether it be opening up sessions or, or other things that I've spoken to people about, that, that, that people's, not necessarily interest, it could be interest, but their participation numbers have, have gone down. Um, and I've been puzzling over, over why that is. I suppose there's no, no one answer. What's your thought from, from the perspective of, of Andy's Man Club? I think that people... <laughs> I don't know whether this is a a kind of a thing really, but one of the best things about Andy's Man Club from a a personal point of view, one of the things that I really, really enjoyed more than than anything, this might sound a bit bizarre, but I used to stand outside from 20 past half past six in Manchester and to welcome everyone in, handshake, hug, whatever it was, quick chat, sort of couple couple of minutes, just welcoming people in, Going down, and then we used to kind of we have a I suppose like a holding area for again for one of a better term, and you go down at sort of five to seven, seven o'clock or whatever, as people before people go into the room, and everyone's chatting, everyone's part of that. You're finding out how somebody's doing, how the weekend's been, you all that kind of small talk, and that for me makes you feel like you're part of a community, and I think that's the hardest thing that can't necessarily be replicated virtually you can't have so we were achieving numbers of sort of 40 people 30 40 people at manchester before before lockdown turning up now you can't have a virtual world where 40 people are chatting to each other like you might have twos here threes here kind of little groups that that are kind of um sort of dotted about having little chat different chats you can't do that virtually and I think people feel uncomfortable. You'll obviously have a, a certain element that people will feel that maybe it's not as secure and safe as an environment. Um, you know when you're physically in a room and it's just men in the room. 
virtually it's hard to tell is somebody sat on the sofa listening who, who knows kind of thing so does that put a few people off I, I, I don't know I, like you said before I don't think there's one thing but I think the biggest thing for me that I've missed is just there is a little bit of small talk before and after that kind of feeling that part of a, of, of a, of a community really where everyone comes together so that for me is, is probably the main reason no, that makes a lot of sense, Dan. Um, and that, that, that corresponds with what, what I'm really missing at the moment in terms of the sessions that I would be going out and doing and having a little insight to the communities that, that you visit. And, and of course, you found this with your opening up sessions that you, you go in as, a, as an outsider, but afterwards you might have a chat about what cricket's like in their league or what's going on. And you just get to see how people connect, and it's really nice to 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 observe that. So to actually be a big part of it in an Andy's Man Club would be would be kind of next level. Now you you touched on there about uh, the, the the nature of the group being um, being for men only, and of course the, the title of it is is making that particularly clear. So from your perspective, you you touched on it at the beginning. Your experiences that led you to to to, to join Andy's Man Club um, uh, in in twenty eighteen had been the the recurrence of of a particularly difficult period with your with your mental health. Just take me back to the first time you had um, that experience and and how that linked in your case to to fatherhood. Yeah. So my. Um son was born on um 19th of december 2015 so he's what four and a half four and a half now um so when he when he was born after about an hour um he, he was kind of taken off us and and rushed to um to NICU to intensive care and it was a, a thing that during the whole build up to it like it was never ever a consideration. Like you never really told that well, this could happen or this is common or th this kind of thing. It's all about that kind of perfect de delivery in it. And even take it, I'll, I'll look back on it now and it's easy to look in hindsight, but um, I suppose the range of emotions that you get from when, a, a, when you have a, a, a child, I was always told that like you'd have this massive explosion of love and all this kind of stuff when you first see a baby. And like, I'm genuine, genuine. The first thought I saw when I saw my son was, my God, you're ugly. And it wasn't, I didn't feel that kind of explosion. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel the earth move or anything along those lines. I just thought, wow, you're, <laughs> you're ugly. And, um, but then as time kind of goes and then he got taken off us, and I remember like the first thing that I thought when he got taken off us and we kind of realized it was a bit shocked, obviously, what was what was going on. And he was having some breathing difficulties and we were, we were kind of in shock. And I just remember saying to um, his mum, I, I don't know where he is. And, and she was going, oh, he's gone to he's, the, the midwife going, he's gone to NICU. And I was like, no, I know that's what you're telling me, but I don't know where he is. And she was like, is it? He's in NICU, he's in intensive care. And I said, no, sorry, I, I get that. But physically, I don't know where NICU is in this hospital. So if I walk out this door 
and want to go and find Nikki. I don't know where it is. So like, you get this. So I've, I've just become a dad. It's a he's a he's an hour old. He's having breathing difficulties. We're worried, obviously worried about him. And I visit. The first thing that came to my mind, really practical. Well, I don't know where, where is he. Where, physically, where is he? Where can I where can I go and find him? And and then that kind of kind of developed. So he spent um, best part of a week. And obviously, this is on Christmas time as well. So, um, but he spent best part of a week in intensive care. Um, he was and and he was pretty poorly. Um, he he, he kind of really was, but he kind of came through all of that. And during that period of time, I became just super practical and stuff. I made sure that everybody else was okay. And, and this is what I think a lot of guys probably fall into the trap of. Um, I even went as far as like, I had an Excel spreadsheet for when people come visit him because you could only get two people in NICU at one point. And our friends and family didn't live close. So I didn't want anyone to waste any journey. So it was just kind of making sure that everything was practically taken care of. I made sure that my um, that his mum was okay, that our families were okay. Made sure that everyone was okay, apart from me. And any time I felt emotional, every time I felt sad and, and all this kind of stuff, I'd bottle it up because I thought, like, I felt guilty because I was like, hang on a second, if I feel like this, imagine what his mum feels like. And it was almost that I don't deserve to feel these emotions because his mum has got to be far worse off than I am because his mum doesn't matter that I'm the dad, but that, that's kind of how my thought process went. And we, we eventually, we got him home after about, it's about sort of 10, 11 days, something, something along those lines. And, and things kind of settled down and, and they were good. And then we had a, another health scare when he was kind of eight weeks old, um, a, a kind of a, a really bad health scare with him. And, and again, it, he's, he's absolutely fine. He's, he's healthy, he's happy and all that kind of stuff. But um, we had a weekend where um, we were told to prepare for, for potentially some really bad news. And that, again, without even realising, like his mum spent the weekend pretty much in tears, just letting emotion out. And I, I was just there thinking, well, I can't cry because that's not my place to, to, to cry. My place is to support her. And my place is there to to be the the strong man, the protector, all all those kind of all those kind of terms. So again, I, I kind of bottled that. I bottled that up. But I think, as you know, Mark, you can't bottle emotion up for 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 long. And if you do, it's got to come out. Now, to me, you can come out in two ways. You can come out in a good way, and you can talk about what's going on and and unleash those emotions in in a positive way. Or you get to the point where I was at and I genuinely felt that I was failing. I felt like I was failing as a father. I felt like my son was ill because of me, because I'd failed him. Now, there's absolutely nothing logical about that statement. But that's, that's kind of how I felt. That's the mindset that I got myself into. And I couldn't talk to anyone about it because I thought, again, people are just going to judge what I'm going to say. If I say to somebody... I don't feel connected to my son. They're going to say, whoa, he's a bad dad. He's terrible. And back then it wasn't, it wasn't talked about slowly getting better now, but it wasn't talked about. So I, get, I, I just really got to the point where I felt like, do you know what? Everyone's going to be better off of that. My son's going to be better off because like, maybe his mum can meet someone else who'd be a really good dad and not a failure like I was. So unfortunately for, unfortunately for me, it took... I got to the point where 
that's the way I saw my life was I'd be better off if I wasn't here. So I made an attempt at my, uh, I made an attempt at my life and, and following from that, I would then went into to, to get help because for obvious, for obvious reasons, I, I didn't want, I didn't really, I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to go away. And I felt pain 24 seven. Pain and guilt were the only two emotions I could feel. And it was just constant. So I ended up, I, I got help. Um, it took a while to get there, but I, I got counseling. Um, and I, I guess this is where the places like Andy's Man Club are so important because I didn't go to Andy's Man Club then. I went and had counseling. And the counseling, it took, you only get six, with the counseling in my local area, you got six sessions of counseling. It took till week five before we kind of realized exactly what the issue was to then start working on it. And then after the sixth one, where I felt like we were just kind of starting to make really, really slow progress, it was kind of like, right, see you later, off you go. So it didn't, while it started having an effect, like, it left me in a more dangerous position than when I'd gone in, in my opinion, because it had opened up a load of wounds and then left me unprotected and just kind of crack on sort of thing. And I kind of started to make a bit of progress myself, but, but yeah, it, it, it kind of didn't last long. So it, it ended up with, with another, another couple of attempts um, of suicide. And, and that's where the kind of desperation came in from um from from my ex that she i mean i feel so sorry for her that she had to put up with it it, it must have been horrendous to to watch me go through go through that and not know how to deal with it so it, it kind of got to so that's what got to the that's what got to the stage but that like i look back at it look back at it now and i have no doubts i had postnatal depression and there's not a lot of men that will openly talk about that kind of thing but from latest studies, I believe it's one in 10 dads that have postnatal depression. And it's a topic that I know is coming up and we discussed it before, Mark, about it's International Father's Mental Health Day on the 22nd of June. And it's such an important topic because more and more people, more and more dads are suffering from it. And we need more people kind of talking about this sort of thing as well. Yeah. And it's just something... I, I when we hear even International Fathers Mental Health Day, from people even who have an interest in mental health, for a lot of people that won't be on the agenda because we're used to having quite um, quite neat categories. You know, we're quite we're quite concerned with the uh, the the issues that affect men, so we're aware of the the suicide rates. We're we're aware of these things, and we, we're. We're able to talk about factors that affect it. But of course, it, looking beneath just those headlines, there's so much variance about this. And, um, and that aspect of, of, of how something which we almost as society look at exclusively from the mum's perspective, just taking a little pause and realising that this is a really life-changing event for, for both parents. Why on earth wouldn't it affect um, the father and actually those things that you've mentioned there about how there was, you felt that expectation to be the one who was going to to organize things to, to to look after it and to be 
to be strong, then that's not only adding pressure on, but pressure on in a situation where you've, of course, got no experience of it before. So, yeah, it's something I know from your, your experience, and it's actually prompted me to, to look at this kind of stuff more. I'm, I'm not, a, not a father, but of course, there are lots of people who are, and, and it makes you look at it a lot differently. And so I think one thing, even though it's just one person, you've made an impact for me for when I'm, I have friends who are then uh, going through the process of, of the partner being pregnant and then the birth and then so on. Just, just looking in and seeing if if there is something there which um, which maybe they need some some help with or, or directing towards help. Um, overall, um, this whole I said before journey is the word that I can never find, <laughs> find an alternative. For. Um, and I'm sure there's a thesaurus somewhere that can help me. But but journey makes makes sense. Um, what would you say are the key things that you've learned? from from your own experience from being having the worst mental health that you've had to being in a position where you're not only being proactive about your, your own health but facilitating through andy's man club and through the the work you do with us at open up cricket um the the ability helping others have the ability to to, to have their conception of mental health um, broaden. So what would you say are the, the things, it's a tough question uh, to, to narrow it down, but what would be the main things that you've picked up over this, this period of time? I think there's a, there's a few things. I, I'm a, I focus a lot on mentality, on my own mentality um, and mindset. So I, I take myself back to walking through the door at Andy's Man Club. If I'd won the lottery while I was sat in the car, I'd find something negative about it. So that was my mindset. I, I would find the most negative out of the, the most positive thing in the world. So I kind of went in with that, um, with that mentality that everything was rubbish, everything was going to continue to be rubbish, life wasn't worth living. And to change that is massive. It, it's huge and it's really, really difficult and it takes a long, long time. Um, one of the first things that, that I kind of got involved with doing, and I know that you're a a big fan of this as, as well, Mark. And I know that you, we push it out on the on the we talk about it on the opening up cricket sessions. Is um, I got introduced to practicing gratitude really, really early on, um, within the first couple of weeks of going to Anis Man Club. In a way, say one positive from the week is is practicing gratitude, and I kind of I st so I started to do that. So I did it via. I'm terrible with a pen and paper, so I did it via an app. So um, I downloaded, there's a, an app on iPhone called uh, Three Good Things. And I set myself a reminder. So I get a notification at nine o'clock every day, um, every night saying, what are your three good things? Click on the app and, and type away. And that was really difficult. Like finding one positive from a whole week was horrendous. It was so hard. Finding three things from one day seemed just just remarkable like it was just seemed like that I was never going to be able to I would never ever be able to do that and I think that like one of my first ones was I got out of bed I had a shower and I got dressed they were my three positives and I kind of look back on that and go wow that but at the time that was mad that was really really positive from someone that didn't want to get out of bed that just wanted to kind of lie there so that really helped and I still do that to this day so still 
I, I do it. It's a, it's a way of maintaining my, um, my, my mentality. And then I started looking at um, ways, other ways in which I could, I can kind of, kind of help. I felt like, um, I use your term, I felt like I was at the start of a journey. Um, and I wanted to, I suppose, accelerate that journey as much as possible. And by doing that, I thought, well, if I keep thinking how I've always thought, then I'm not going to get any different results from that. So I need to, I almost need to open my mind a bit to find out what else is out there. If someone told me a month earlier to practice gratitude, I'd be like, what on earth is that? And why is that going to benefit me? And yet here I was filling these three things out, feeling good and feeling like I was identifying things. And some days were harder than others. Some days you get like one thing and you're struggling to get another two. Other days I was getting three or four and finding it easy. And it just takes time to get that consistency. So to do that, I got, um, as an old boss of mine said, um, oh, do you ever listen to podcasts? And, and I was like, no, not really. Kind of what are they? And so I kind of, I got, intro I got introduced and I said, well, can you recommend that I listen to one? And so we recommended that I listened to it. And I really liked the form in terms of an hour long, however long it was. At the time, it was taking me an hour commute door to door from home to work. So an hour long podcast was perfect. So I put it in when I left the house and switched it off when I got to, got to work and listened to the whole podcast. It was amazing. And it, st it literally started with, um, it, the, the podcast was called Unfiltered by James O'Brien. And he interviewed just different people on different topics, stuff that I had no interest in whatsoever. Um, but I listened to it every week religiously. And what I found was that I was finding people that I'd never heard of talk about things that I had, couldn't care less about. I started finding them really inspiring. So then I'd start going, well, that's quite interesting that. So I might look into that a bit more. And just by exploring a world that I had no idea of, then that opened my mind to actually what else is kind of out there. If I find that person inspiring, what else have they done? What else do they talk about? Have they been on another podcast? And if they've been on another podcast, I'd listen to that. Now, you'll know when you interview somebody on a podcast, it doesn't matter what podcast they're on, they always sound the same, they give them the same answers because often they're talking about their life and it's the same life no matter who's asking the questions. But I just found a way that then I'd get a little network then. So I'd have three or four podcasts that I'd listen to, which were all interviewing and they were all interviewing different people. So then I'd find different people kind of in. And it was just, to me, it was about challenging what my thoughts were because I'd always thought the same. I'm, I suppose in, in a way, I was a typical bloke. Love football, love rugby, uh, loved all sport, that kind of thing. Love going to the pub, love drinking, all that, all that kind of, all that kind of thing. And so, actually, holding a conversation at a party, like unless you were talking about sport, I'd probably struggle a little bit. And now I found that actually there was a whole world out there that I really enjoyed. Like I really enjoyed finding out stuff that. Couldn't care less about. Couldn't care less about the topic. If that person tells it in a way that I find inspiring, I'm all over it. I absolutely love it. So that was another way. And then you kind of get onto the things like um, sort of the guys that proclaim to be motivational speakers, or they write motivational books. So you start um, you start reading all the self help time type books and listening to them and. And they were, they, they're, they're cool. I, I kind of, I, I still listen to a few of them, but I'd rather people tell them about their experience, not what 
like that's what I found motivational. That's what I found inspiring is how people overcome adversity. Not someone says that you should get up at five o'clock in the morning and run 10K every day. That, it's great. That might work for you, but I can tell you it's not going to work for me. And um, so it was going on through, through that. I tried, the one thing that I've always tried, and I keep going back to this, and I am not very good. And no matter how much I try and try and try, I'd love to be good at it, but I'm not. And it's meditation. But the one thing that I found that really works for me, and I suppose it is a form, I suppose it's more mindfulness and meditation, is um, switch everything off in the house, put my mobile phones upstairs, um, my work one and my personal one, I've not got two personal ones, um, put, them, put them upstairs and I'll sit in a dark room, I'll sit in a room with no, um, effectively no feed going to my brain. All it is is just sitting there breathing, relaxing, um, and maybe that's for five minutes, maybe that's for 10 minutes. Sometimes it can be, you get lost in your own thoughts. It's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. And that way, just no input. And I'm just kind of sat there and I feel kind of quite relaxed. It's a way of relaxing. Um, I, I don't want to kind of keep going on and, and tell me to stop if you, if you kind of want, but um, running's another one, getting out in the fresh air. I'm really lucky where I live in the Pennines that we've got so many walks and runs that you can kind of do around here. So the kind of obvious one of, 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 of running um, and, and getting out is, um, is something that I kind of still to this day kind of really enjoy, um, enjoy doing. But I think the biggest thing that kind of overarches all of them that I've just mentioned, and this is where I believe, I strongly believe that people can improve their own mental health is sort of by first accepting that it's their responsibility. I think way too often we blame everybody else, but you only have to look on social media for no more than 10 seconds to see people complaining about other people for something, no matter what it is. Take personal responsibility. I got myself into that situation and I got to the point because I didn't talk, I didn't take personal responsibility, blamed everyone else for how I felt. And as soon as you start taking personal responsibility, you can start making those steps forward, I think. Yes, um, that is my philosophy um, as well. And I remember reading the book 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Now, we can't start talking about him because he's got so much controversy around him and people either love him or hate him or what have you. But there was one chapter there, I think it's titled, um, it's around the theme of putting your own house in order before you criticise others. And I, I couldn't read it in one go because I kept stopping and just being like, this is, this is what I've been trying to work out all this time. And then, of course, in the spirit of the book or in the spirit of what you're saying, I wasn't just walking around going, oh, Jordan Peterson said this or someone said that. I was like, I'm going to make this work for me and I'm going to have a few things that I do in my routine, uh, broadly similar to yours, that, that I know work for me and that if I dedicate my time to, I take some control over it. Now, things that are outside of that will come and they will impact, but I feel resilient and stronger for knowing that I've got a stake in it. And I think that's really key from the start of what you've said regarding getting out of that car, going into Andy's man club, to, to the years that have, have passed and, and all the experience of just trying to pass that little on so Dan it's been brilliant um to to chat with you um recorded rather than just over a cup of coffee <laughs> um 
just tell us finally um, about your own podcast and, and where we can find that. Yeah, um, oh, cheers for giving us the opportunity to plug it. Um, so yeah, so I, uh, I'm part of a, I suppose a team now. Um, so we have a podcast called the 84 Podcast. So again, like this one, you can find it across all the podcast providers, Spotify, iTunes, all the all those kind of things. Um, so the 84 Podcast is really important to me for for obvious reasons, I guess. But it it comes from again, it comes from Andy's Man Club. So um, my co-host that, that I work with, a chap called Omar, um, we are very open about our past. We were both have survived suicide attempts. We both take the mick out of ourselves because of it, I suppose, in a way. And it's about normalizing that conversation. But I suppose going back to what I was saying earlier, um, we find people and stories inspiring. Um, and our aim is to get people onto that podcast that have an interesting story to, to tell. So there'll be people on there that pe most people won't have heard of, and that's fine. We've, we've got kind of no issues with that. We're not just going to get a Premier League footballer on because he's a Premier League footballer and find out how he went through an academy and got pampered. That, that couldn't be more boring for me. But what's really important is, do you know what? Somebody that you'd walk and walk past in the street, and do you know what? They've got an incredible story. And so that that's kind of what our um, our podcast is all about. We've been joined. Our, our producer is um, is again. We met him through Andy's Man Club. So it's kind of all come through through that. And, and we're all really open about the fact that I don't think any of us would be friends if it wasn't for Andy's Man Club. Like our paths wouldn't cross. And I don't know whether we would be friends in general. To be honest with you, even if our paths did cross, we're we're very very different in how we see things. Um, which which we'd like to think makes for interesting listening to. Um, yeah, really appreciate you giving us the opportunity. So uh, yeah, do check out the 84 podcast. Definitely do that, folks. Um, as Dan says, it's it's just it's hearing about um, suppose ordinary. I think this might even be your tagline: ordinary people with extraordinary stories is that yeah, got it in one that is our tagline yeah but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's worked it seeps into here yeah, fantastic all right dan um thanks a bunch for that mate um i look forward to speaking to you in person uh, again soon keep up the good work mate cheers for inviting me on be sure to check out dan's podcast the 84 and also keep your eyes peeled around Monday the 22nd of June for information about International Fathers Mental Health Day. As I said in the podcast, it was something that had passed me by over these years, even having an interest in mental health. So it's certainly worth thinking about how a life-changing event can affect more than perhaps we, we initially think. Until then, hope all is well and I'll catch you on the next episode.